Well, hello, all the lovely listeners. I am here with a friend, um, and I will let them introduce themselves. Will you tell us who you are and your pronouns, please? Yes. Hello, I am Kira. I use she/her pronouns. You had it. You had a tweet that kind of blew up that was regarding closure, and um, right. and Ray <laughs> offered offered you up as a guest <laughs> to try and support the other the other the underdog podcast and um so thank you ray um but i i reached out to kira and asked if she wanted to um talk some shit about (laughs) javascript and talk (laughs) about how much she loves closure and she was like okay um but but yeah why don't you tell us tell us about that tweet uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, right. I am obviously very bad at intros. I So I write closure for a living, um, and it's my new favorite language. Um, I guess that's just about it. So, yeah, I work with a small team based out of the UK building sort of open data publishing tools. So most of what I do is web development. And in the past, I've done that with uh, Ruby for backend stuff and JavaScript or and or TypeScript for front end stuff. Um, and, you know, it had less of a fun time. Just I found a lot of, um, like, time and effort spent on things that were not, like, things that I was actually trying to fix or solve or build, just a lot of, like, ceremony and whatever. So, um, yeah, this I kind of just came across this job as a, a fluke through a friend, and they happened to use Clojure, and uh, now I've been doing it for a couple years and really enjoying it. It's it's just a really really, uh, I don't know, fun nice ecosystem and community and language to to be working with. So, I'm uh, I'm enjoying my job these days. Oh wow, enjoying your it's enjoying a, your job. A, a high bar, yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so do you write mostly closure or closure script? Mostly closure. It depends. I, I've done sort of both. So it depends on kind of the way the way we work it tends to be sort of project based so like in the past Mm -hmm. i spent you know i don't know four or six months over the summer building a this kind of big closure script um ui Mm -hmm. for this uh you know with a coworker who was doing sort of more of the data stuff the back-end stuff um right now most recently have been doing more back-end stuff with closure um but i think i soon shortly will be probably picking up a, a sort of another project that'll be more front end focused. And so more closure script again. You said that you have a myriad of languages um, in your past. And I'd like to touch on that a little bit more. So the tweet, I think I forget the exact wording, but the tweet that I guess called you to our attention was something like it's the only language that like you, you do and you like it, the more you do it. It's not like, you know, it's not like the normal bell curve of like, you know, going up and then it's like, Oh wait, what's, what's, what what's this um and i guess tell me about other languages and kind of that how, how you got into i guess the bell curve of how your love of those languages developed <laughs> if that makes sense sure yeah so uh, is that a good question <laughs> yeah of course yeah well i guess yeah so so i think what makes well how what's what's the best way to explain it so like in the past yeah building for example like web apps with ruby I found it was like really, really easy to get started, but then as things evolved and your app grows, it became much, much more complicated. 
So especially with like performance stuff, like I found profiling performance and trying to figure out what's going on um, pretty challenging just with the, the available mm -hmm. tools in Ruby. And it's, it's not like that's no shade on Ruby. It's an awesome language and I love working with it as well um, mm -hmm. and, and everything. Mm -hmm. but, but like that's one thing, for example, that Clojure just because it has access to the entire JVM ecosystem, um, and it's this kind of like state of the art, you know, runtime uh, and has kind of everything like it, there's always there's just always kind of something like ready to go. Like it's not very difficult to figure out, like, how do I investigate this problem or how do I, you know, deal with this issue that you only run into like at at scale or in a big app or whatever. Um, that's kind of like Java's wheelhouse is those those types of like complicated big apps. And so there's a lot of tools and a lot of um like prior work to to go on um and yeah i don't know similar with closure script i guess i mean I, f I feel like you know javascript is i don't want to be i don't want to be a big bummer i don't want to be super <laughs> negative and just like spend this whole time shitting on javascript because it's like there's, it's obviously like it's like the by far the like most wildly successful language, you know, yeah. of all time, and like most developers use JavaScript and everything. So it's there's clearly like benefits, and it's clearly like useful. It's just that it's just that like you know I think there's also a reason why like you know there's like a thousand languages that transpile to JavaScript, so that nobody so like we're all just trying to get away from actually writing JavaScript. Um, and so yeah, ClojureScript really like just you know, covers up a lot of the stuff that makes JavaScript frustrating and tricky to work with. And you can kind of just think, I find it helps, you know, helps me like think at sort of a little bit of a higher, higher level. Like you're not so focused on like worrying about whatever variables leaking and functions being in the right place and call, you know, being called in certain ways that maybe result in weird, you know, effects and stuff like that. It's just kind of a, yeah. Uh, a nice, yeah. I think you mentioned something that is, um, you know, like most most developers do JavaScript, and you know, it's so permeating through um, software that, yeah, no, I don't think anybody's ever suggesting that we're gonna like get away from JavaScript <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. But I think that's probably that's like the pro of JavaScript, but also kind of the the downside in that it's just like the wild west. Like, what is like. There's like a new framework every week. It's like, yeah. And I think, yeah, I saw you mention something else on your Twitter of like, can we just make the things that we already have work <laughs> instead of like yeah, having a whole new thing? That's a, definitely a pet peeve of mine, just with the industry in general. Um, yeah, and like not specific to any language, but like I think I find we just spend like an overwhelming amount of time and effort reinventing the wheel and, and coming up with you know, the same ways to do this things that are already possible to do, you know, that, that have been like long discovered. And it's like, we could, you know, and yet like the internet barely works, right? Like, you know, there's whatever I have looked this up in the past, like 80% of websites have sort of major accessibility issues and 70% of pages are too slow, like take longer than eight seconds to load. And you know, something like 70 or 80% of pages on the internet are over a megabyte, which most of them are just text and there's no need for that. And it's like, there's all of these really low hanging fruit things that we could do that I think like 
the goal like it's not just like you know that i'm sort of sort of like like ideologue like purist it's but like i think it would actually make the internet better like i think it would make the average user's experience better if you know most forms worked and like pages loaded faster and didn't consume you know huge amounts of data and and stuff like that so yeah it's that's i guess yeah that's that's not so much specific to javascript but yeah i find like I was a bit disappointed when I got into web development and I looked at the state of things and I was like, really? Like, we're just going to leave it like this? Like, Well, it, it also like heightens your, like, before I was into web development, you know, I was just like, a la la la, like user of, you know, I'd go to a website and I didn't even notice. Or, or I yeah, don't know whether, totally. okay, it's, it's either I didn't notice or websites have gotten worse. I'm not sure which one. I Probably think... both a little bit. Not sure. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's, you know, there's, like you said, there's new stuff every week in, in this, especially in the front end world. And it's, yeah, it's not obvious to me that it's always an improvement. And it's, you know, it's like, it's fine to like make frameworks and apps and whatever. And that can be like a cool learning experience. But it's like at a certain point, there's limited like value, I think, in continuing to invent new ways to do the same thing when it's like, I don't know, that's, I guess, yeah, it's sort of to bring it back to closure. Like that's another thing I really love about um, the language in the community and the ecosystem is it's, it feels very like there's no rush. Like nobody's in a rush to get the cool new thing. The clue, like, you know, the, the closure world is very like, um, I don't know, like mature, I guess in that way. Um, and yeah, and it shows, right? It's it's remarkably stable language. Like I have I have yet to spend I've spent zero minutes updating dependencies on my closure projects in like two and a half years now. Um, whereas like that used to be a, a quarterly task that someone would take like three days to update all the dependencies on our, our you know massive TypeScript project and it would break everything and you'd have to spend like a week fixing TypeScript errors and you know digging into all kinds of libraries to fix everything and just, just to make it work again. And it's like, you know, that's, it doesn't have to be that way. And I appreciate that there is like this tiny little corner of the, the industry that has um, embraced that. A bunch of old grumpy Lisp developers are like, <laughs> no, like, no, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> that's it. I was once involved in a, in a conversation that, um, you know, somebody had said, um, it was kind of like a JavaScript versus ClojureScript something. I wouldn't say argument, but pros and cons of each. And um, they were like, oh, well, JavaScript, um, the ecosystem is just so active. And there are so many, you know, I guess they were, they were, the person was trying to call attention to the fact that Clojure frameworks were, were try, they tried to say unmaintained. And like, there's a difference between finished yeah. and unmaintained. Like, that's, you know, and yeah. that's, it's a big thing. I couldn't agree more. Like, yeah, I complain about this, like, all the time with my other developer friends. Like, yeah, like, it's okay to just do a project and then, like, it, like, projects can be finished. Not every single project needs new features all the time. Like, I think that's, that's another big issue in the industry in general is this like you know people it's, it's not a, people have talked about it before but like kind of promotion driven development or this idea of like you're just constantly like churning out new features and adding random stuff to things that kind of already work 
for the sake of like, it's like all make work projects so that, you know, product managers and, and product owners can get like a meet their KPIs and say they got some new feature out the door and, and like whatever. And it's, it is frustrating because it's, you know, apps that we use all the time, like browsers and Slack and editors like work just fine. And then you update them and then they break and it's like, ah, oh, come on. Like it's, it does, yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, it is, it does take some getting used to because when you, you know, go looking for closure libraries and this one hasn't been touched since 2016, it's like, yeah, is that because someone abandoned it and it's not done or is it just because it works and it does what it does? And that's, and then, yeah, the nature of closure is all sort of, you know, every project is a million little modular pieces and yeah, and some of those pieces, you know, are very simple and just, yeah, don't need constant updates to, to continue working. So, yeah brought up a very interesting concept that um, this promotion driven development and I think that we go through that as like businesses go through that like you said like product managers and um, you know pushing features all that but then also um, you know there's this idea I think a lot of developers kind of feel like they gotta like make a name for themselves they gotta they gotta make the thing and promote it and like have the thing and it's just not uh, it, it, I guess it's I, I don't like the idea and that's great I love that people make open source tools that's great that's wonderful we should all be totally. you know contributing open source projects but it's also okay to just be a good developer just sure. you know be a good sure. developer like that that should be okay that should be what we all strive to be and, instead of I think it's like a very competitive um, direction yeah you know? That's a tricky thing for sure. Like in terms of, yeah, like building a career, it's like, yeah, it's, I definitely have mixed feelings about that whole thing. Cause yeah, for sure. There's no question that, you know, the most sort of revered and um, I mean, successful, depending how you define success, like developers are, have, you know, very, they clearly spend a lot of their time writing software and not just for money. It's like, and there is, that kind of sinking feeling when you're like at the end of the workday, you're like, yeah, that was all right. But you know, I'm kind of done. I don't really want to do more software stuff, but then you're like, is that okay? Like, if, am I like, you know, forfeiting my future? Like, you know, you're, you're basically, it's, it feels like kind of just like you're accepting this, this position. You're never going to advance unless you, you contribute. And I mean, there's, you know, that's maybe that's fine because those people do deserve, absolutely deserve to be rewarded for their, their efforts and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. There's, there's definitely, you know, I, this, the software industry in general is, is all about that. Like the, the, the superhero, like the ninja programmer, like single, you know, benevolent dictator for life kind of um, project management structure, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, if you look at a lot of programming languages operate that way, like Linux itself, which, you know, most computers in the world are running and, um, yeah, it's kind of just, I guess, how, how things have unfolded, but, uh, yeah, I hear you. It's like, you know, do we all like, yeah, does it have to be that way? <laughs> and, and I think there's a, there's a distinction on kind of like where the, I guess kind of the intention of where it's coming from, because mm -hmm. there are people that make wonderful tools for everybody to use. And it's, and it's like, a, um, it's, I guess I want to draw the distinction between like 
making tools to help people and making tools that are like ego driven, like making tools mm. purely for the recognition of having made the tool, but you're not actually interested sure. in it helping anybody. You just want to be able to say, this is my awesome framework, you know, uh, kitty cat 820. Everybody has to use it. It's a wrapper on react, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah. um, there's, yeah, no, that definitely happens. You see people, there was a, there's a book I read a while ago now, I think it's called developer hedge money. I'm trying to remember. I think it's called developer hedge money. Anyway, in it, the guy describes Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that happens, especially in a lot of companies, like someone will stick around and then, yeah, write their own like custom framework, you know, kind of succumbing to that, like not, not invented here syndrome. And then, but then, yeah, it's, uh-huh. you, you get roped into this like thing. And then of course that person leaves and now nobody knows how to maintain or use this uh, stack. And uh, that's a very common story, but yeah, you know, I definitely, there's, there's, you, you can tell like at some, some conferences and some communities, there's a, a sort of a vibe of like trying to like, one up than the last thing and whatever and I don't know maybe some competition is healthy but you know yeah mm-hmm. if it's not your personality it definitely um you know can yeah it can come off a little bit differently well I just want it to be okay to just be a good developer you know that's it's it's I'm happy for these people making these tools but <laughs> is it can it can it be can it be okay yeah. or you know you just to to wake up every yeah. day enjoy your job work hard for eight to ten hours and then have a nice work-life balance because I think that the code that you write during that time is going to be better if you don't, you know, clock in at your job eight to 10 hours and then, you know, clock in doing something else for another 10 hours. You know, it's, I don't know. Um, And again, none of this is, no, I totally, um, I'm none, none of this is to disparage any, you know, open source work is wonderful, huge proponent of it. And that's, you know, not, but but maybe you know like contributing to others works you know um could be an avenue instead of making your own thing um yeah of course no i think that's definitely i mean i think yeah that's that's like an ongoing discussion i think just in the industry in general is like yeah like how you know because there's i think it's i think it's less so now than even like when i started like i guess i don't know six years ago now or mm-hmm. so. Um, but I think in the past, it's definitely been, there was more of a focus on like open source. Like that's how you get noticed and that's what you have to do mm-hmm. to like get yourself out there. And, you know, on one hand I get that, like if you're like, so I like taught myself how to code mm-hmm. on, just with like online courses. And so on some level, like you have to produce something to prove to people that you can actually do this. Like if you didn't go to school and you didn't study anything related to software like you know it's fair for an interviewer to be like okay like can you even write software like prove it Uh (laughs) um but then yeah on the other hand like it's definitely problematic to expect expect it you know Uh to expect people to spend more than they're being more time than they're being paid for uh like on software stuff because there's there's you know i know people who love it and if that's what you love that's great and there's some people who you know, it's, it's their job and their hobby and they truly enjoy like spending their weekends just, yeah, writing open source projects. And yeah, that's awesome. But then it's like, what if you're not one of those people, right? What if your hobbies are like hiking or playing music or 
whatever if you have a family and you can't you don't have time for that like that I think yeah like I said less so now than in the past but still a bit I think can yeah legitimately like sort of hamper dampen your career a bit which um yeah which sucks (laughs) (laughs) well um taking it in a different direction a little bit um tell me more about you said that you come from a non-traditional background that's awesome me too tell us more what do you know? Um, yeah, well, so I studied chemistry in university um, as well as German. So I ended up with uh, two undergrads in, in chemistry and German studies. Um, and both of those are, you know, really interesting, but can't do a whole lot except like go get more chemistry degrees or more German degrees with, with a chemistry degree. And that's kind of what I set myself up for. Um, but I had done research every summer and at the in my last year realized like oh my gosh like I, I don't think I want to do this like I was touring grad schools and looking for projects to do um and yeah I kind of had this moment where I was like oh no like what have I done <laughs> um and then you know thought okay like sort of this panic like okay like I need a job like I don't you know I don't come from an independently wealthy family unfortunately and like I had to pay my own rent and figure something out and so Um, I thought about maybe, you know, trying to, like, I I ran, like, a little painting company, and at one point I was going to go do, like, an MBA and try to go down that road, Um, but that was, like, a lot more school and a lot more money, Um, and so, yeah, I looked into a few sort of online, like, learn how to code little course things, and so I did, yeah, like, a few courses on edX and Coursera, and um, at the time there was, like, the Odin project, and anyway, there's, you know, quite a few resources available for free and yeah, just kind of, yeah, built a few projects and basically ended up just getting really lucky. Like I live, I was living in Montreal at the time. And so I went out to all these meetups and just tried to get to know people who, who were writing, you know, software for a living. And, uh, it was at the Ruby meetup in Montreal. I met my, uh, now friend, first boss who happened to have an opening on a team for an intern and that was kind of my first uh my first like professional software job and then it was all uphill from there once I had like you know a few months of experience it just got easier and easier to find keep finding my next uh role so yeah anyway it's basically just like you know looking for I was like what can I do that's not going to cost me another like sixty thousand dollars in four years and you know give me a decent living and I knew I, I really liked traveling too and I I um, I mean, I still do, um, you know, pandemic has kind of ruined that for now, but, uh, like looking at careers that you can do remotely, um, obviously now there's, there's a lot more options, but in like 20, 2015, um, most of the people I was following in that sort of like digital nomad space were writing software. So I was like, Oh, maybe I should, you know, try that. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself a digital nomad? I mean, not so much anymore, I guess. I, I spent the pandemic in Montreal. Um, now I live in Alberta in Canada. So, but yeah, before the pandemic, I, I would kind of, kind of work and travel for most of the year. Um, so yeah, I've been lucky for sure to have uh, teams that can kind of accommodate that. I usually go somewhere and stay for like, you know, a month or two or three. So it's not like I'm constantly going all over the place, but a lot of it's just chasing decent weather. I've, I've discovered in my 
sort of mid twenties that the the weather like really impacts my mood. Like I really do not like, especially in Canada, the the thing the main thing is the darkness. I don't mind the cold, but the days are so short in the winter. When the sun sets at like three or four o'clock, it's like it's just depressing, and then it doesn't come up until nine, you know, eight or nine in the morning, and so. Um, yeah, I, and you know, the cold, I don't, nobody, well, that's not true, some people do, but I, I don't enjoy it, so a lot of it's just me kind of like trying to move wherever the the days are nice and the weather's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so yeah. what, um, tell me about your like digital nomad, like working environment. Do you just have your like Apple laptop and that, because cause I was recently traveling and I mm-hmm. overpacked, like I brought like, um, I brought like a, a, a lap desk and I brought my, my keyboard that I love. And I like, like, I really just, you know, I brought like an external, cause if I brought my keyboard, I had to have a mouse. And like, by the end of it, I ended up having to sure. like ship my stuff back home. Cause it like was too heavy for the plane. <laughs> and so I'm like, how are all wow. these amazing digital nomad people like yeah. doing this? Like, how do you not, how does your pinky not hurt? Like, like what, how is it? Are you just, are yeah. just light with a laptop? How do you do it? <laughs> no I've definitely I think I've mostly gotten really lucky with the yeah, airport uh, gate agents who don't really check the carry-on luggage mm-hmm. um, but yeah normally I just travel with yeah I have a backpack with all my gear in it and then a carry-on for my clothes um, but yeah I bring so I have a an external monitor that's like a just like a portable like an Asus portable little monitor thing that mm-hmm. I travel with and my MacBook Pro and yeah i do bring i have a keyboard and the wrist rest for it and a little mouse and this headset so it ends up yeah i have when i you know when i load up my backpack with all the kit in it it's it is quite heavy so i usually try to just keep that on my back and make it look really effortless to carry so that nobody asks me to take it off to weigh it (laughs) um but yeah i have no doubt if uh well i guess yeah it depends one time I was flying with, I forget which one, but some discount airline and they actually did, you know, make me weigh it. And it was of course like way over. So yeah, I had to pay a fortune to emergency check some stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it's, I, I miss, I do miss my setup. Like at home I have, I have my sort of a larger monitor that's like mounted at that proper height and my chair, my beloved chair that I'm sitting in right now is my favorite thing in the world. Um, and so, you know, it's nice to be, you know, in my home base and have, uh, the, the right setup, but you know, it, I have like a stand for my, my laptop and you can usually make it work. I usually just end up setting up at like a kitchen table cause not many places have a decent desk, uh, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, it's funny. I found the trade off while traveling is that like, I was more focused in that, you know, I didn't have the distractions of, I was more focused on my work. I'd sit down and be like, okay, banging it out, working for, you know, these yeah. six hours. And it was just me and the laptop. And like, you know, I didn't, the co- the Keurig coffee maker in the hotel room was like right next to me. And like, that's, um, yeah. versus that. Yeah. So, but I traded that, um, there was, a, I guess a trade-off of, because I was on like one little screen, of having to switch screens and all that mm. versus at home, I got like, yeah, the, the double wide monitor and, and the comfy chair. Yeah, and the, yeah. But then I got my cat jumping up on my desk every two seconds, like, meow, <laughs> what you doing? Petting me? Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it's like a, 
it's like a trade-off that I, I'm like a lot more totally productive in this space, but somehow less productive. <laughs> so, yeah, no, totally. I, uh, I find, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess I say, you know, the pandemic, the pandemic has been like, this just is my life now. It's like, it's not like there's any other life, but I found it. Yeah. It really affected my productivity. Cause like, yeah, when I'm traveling, when I'm in a cool place where there's like all the stuff I want to go do, or, you know, you're like in an awesome house right across the road from the beach or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, it's like, I want to get my work done. Like I want to do this and then I want to go do stuff. Um, but yeah, I found like for, you know, a year and a half, like living in solitary confinement in my apartment downtown, um like it's like there's nothing to do anyway so I may as well take a nap or I may as well you know go for a run and I'll just work later um which you know it's fine on one hand it's nice to have the flexibility to like set your own schedule and whatever but then there were a lot of nights where I was like you know at like eight or nine o'clock is like man I still have you know now I have to go work for four hours because I I didn't do anything so now that things are kind of sort of opening up a bit and there's sometimes opportunities to actually do stuff in the evenings again I'm like all confused I'm like what do you mean I have to work right now like I have to I have to work for like eight hours in a row just so I can go do something tonight because like I'm not gonna have time uh-huh. Uh-huh. so it's been it's been a little bit difficult to adjust but uh yeah yeah I found that I found that being home with with nothing to do like the, I think the pandemic especially hit cities pretty hard like because like the cool thing about living in a city normally is that there's like all this fun stuff to do um and that all kind of went away so it was it was a long year and a half yeah <laughs> so so you said you're in Canada now still um how is mm-hmm. um you know I know how we've dealt with it here in the U.S. um how have restrictions, I mean, are you still under restrictions? Are they kind of lifted a little bit? Mask mandates, uh, what's it look like over there? Sure, yeah, it's, I think it, it's varied quite a bit across the country. So each province is kind of in control of their own, um, you know, rules and healthcare situation, kind of like in the States, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in Quebec, where I was living previously in Montreal, they had some... Um, pretty strict lockdowns. We had like an 8 p.m. curfew for a few months, which was especially brutal. Um, Right now I am in, as I mentioned, Alberta, which is taking a bit of a different approach. They basically, yeah, kind of declared the pandemic was over in July, um, which of course backfired really horribly. Um, The situation has been not great. Um, Like, it's it's yeah it's it's weird to talk about because I haven't really been affected like I work from home and I can afford to get stuff delivered and mm-hmm. um don't really have to go out like ever like I can yeah, yeah. pretty much you know spend a month in my house if I really had to mm-hmm. um but the healthcare system I think has been under a lot of strain which is really having a lot of like knock-on effects and stuff like that so it's not great Um, and yeah, they recently, so they recently reintroduced mask mandates and we've got in most places now, I think most places across the country now, you, you pretty much have to be fully vaccinated to do anything like to go to restaurants or gyms or, Mm. um, whatever, like public events they're, they're checking. Um, and you know, those like 
documents are pretty easy to fake. It's like a little PDF you get from your healthcare website. And there's some questionable like issues about how that's being enforced and whatever. But in principle, um, the idea, I think the current approach is like to kind of lock down only unvaccinated people. So technically you're not supposed to, you know, have unvaccinated people at like an indoor gathering, even like in your house. Um, so that's the kind of current situation, but, um, anyway, on paper, I don't, I don't really know how it's going over in the real world, but, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my views have shifted on it because I went from, you know, I honestly, I live a pretty, um, privileged life in, in a lot of ways, but one of which is I have no, um, you know, I have no children in my life. I have no elderly people in my life. I too work from home. I can get things delivered. Um, you know, uh, and so when this last round I got double vaccinated, I was like, we like, it's over, let's do this. And then, you know, yeah. the whole rest of the U S was like, yeah. ah, ah, ah. and I was like, wait, what do you mean? It's not over. And no yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I've talked to really, it's like my friends with kids. I'm like, Oh, wow. I guess yeah. you still really have to care about this. Um, I mean, we should all care about this, but I, you know, I, was one of the people like, yeah, it's over. Crap. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, I think, yeah, like everyone is just so burnt out. Like everyone I know is just done with this, like needs this to be over like yesterday. It's just too much. It's too stressful. And then, yeah, but then the it's like this awful paradox where like if you kind of, if you start acting like it's over, then it just gets worse and mm -hmm. starts spreading again. And it's like, oh, like we're losing. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's us versus the virus and we're losing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I hear you. Like on one hand, I definitely, I mean, it's part of why I came out here. So my, my brother lives here and that's why I'm here just so I can have some like company and relatives. Cause I, I was like, I can't handle being locked down alone anymore. Like it was too much. Well, um, I think we underestimate the, um, you know, horrible effects that, something like that would have on, on like mental health. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty extroverted yeah. and I was, I was absolutely. And like I said, I don't really have a lot of risk factors in my life. I'm young, healthy. I, you know, I, I literally take my vitamins and all that. And so there came a, there <laughs> yeah. came a point that I had to do like the risk benefit analysis for myself where it's like, okay, this is going to be, it's worse for my health, like holistically to try and stick yeah. it out alone than it would be for me to just like oh, absolutely. get vaccinated and like go out to eat and just like interact with a freaking human. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like that's one thing that I always found frustrating. Like, yeah, the people, you know, all the people who are making these rules are like, you know, people sort of with families who live in mansions and it's like, you know, so when they say like stay in your house there, they have like, you know, six bedrooms and a nice yard and a pool. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, fine. What about people who live downtown in like a shoebox, you know, in these like hotel sized apartments that are taking over all the cities? It's like, I, you know, I, at one point they even came out and said like, oh, yeah, yeah, like there's an exemption. If you live alone, you know, you're allowed to have one visitor over or something was the rule at one time. And I was like, give me a break, you know. I, yeah, and I, it was I was in a similar situation. Like I had to decide. It's just it just put everybody in a really awkward situation, though, because you had to you know, have that awkward conversation with every friend now, like, are you cool breaking this rule or that rule? Like, mm -hmm. you know, are you comfortable doing this or doing that? Instead of having just sort of a blanket, like, 
um, sort of guideline. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for sure. I think that's one thing that, you know, we'll, we'll probably be dealing with the fallout for a really long time of, you know, having so many people um, pretty severely affected by, by loneliness and isolation for, for so long. Well, on the plus side, software developers are never going to have to go into an office again. So that's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've seen like, I know, you know, it's, you see a lot of both sides, right? Every day it's like, oh, the, you know, remote work's never going to work. Everyone wants to work in an office. And then the next day it's like, oh, you know, Facebook is remote now and Shopify is remote now. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Definitely. I mean, it's obviously here to stay. Like, yeah, several like very large companies I've heard, you know, have officially given up their offices. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, I understand that some, you know, a lot of people do have families and distractions and like things at home. Um, Like, for example, um, you know, when my when this all happened, and my stepmom had to work from home, she suddenly had to work, you know, from the kitchen table with the kids screaming in the background, someone doing, you know, they would all divide up and, and, and that, you know, some people do just need a place to go without distractions. Um, yeah. Alternatively, I've, I'm now to the point where my living situations, I always look for a place that has like a two bedroom, like for me in my bedroom and then a bedroom as an office. That's just like, yeah, Yeah, just, just, just what I do now. But, um, so of all this, you've been locked up with Kobe. Where are you looking the most forward to? Like, let's say like tomorrow, the pandemonium, the pandemic mm. is just, it's, it's over. They're like, we won. Uh-huh. Um, where's your digital nomad self? Where would you go? Like where, ha- oh, and follow-up question, where have your favorite places to go been? Oh, that's tough. Um yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting places. I guess right now, I think it'd be cool to go back to Europe just because I have. So right now I'm working with this team based in the UK. So for a while, I was working with teams in California, which made it hard. The time zone thing mm-hmm. made it difficult. So I was only kind of traveling north and south. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe the Canary Islands in the winter um, if everything works out or like, I don't know, Greece is a place I've never been, would love to see. Um, but yeah, as far as like favorite places in the past, it's always hard because it's every place has its own kind of cool thing. Uh-huh. Um, I think Costa Rica was probably near the top of the list. Uh, really, really beautiful place. And, um, near the end, I was there in sort of the winter and near the end of the trip, it was getting pretty hot. Uh, but at the beginning it was pretty ideal weather and, uh, and yeah, pretty, pretty nice very you know accommodating and friendly people yeah and, like most people i guess well but, yeah. i've I, uh costa rica is also on my list of um favorite favorite countries yeah. um especially uh favorite like latino countries just because the people are just like so overwhelmingly welcoming just like um, yeah you know it's it's not like oh americans you know because it's under the countries people are nice to you but like you still <laughs> get like the the like okay. american side eye a little bit but in Costa Rica, they're like, get in here. Uh, do get Let's that? do shots. Like, <laughs> Interesting. I always wondered if that's true. Because, yeah, you see sometimes people with, like, the little Canadian flags on their packs. And they say it's like, oh, no, it's so that they don't think I'm American because we sound American. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And it's yeah. like, wow, is it really that bad? Like, do people? I don't know. It's, I w- yeah, maybe. Maybe in some parts of the world or something. I don't know. I've heard um, it's especially bad in, like, Italy. 
where um, the Italians just like mm, don't don't fuck with anybody else. Like you know, <gasps> that's just uh, this is secondhand. This is secondhand. Um, Have to go try it out. So I guess we we kind of went off the path of software. Um, <laughs> let me okay. Oh. Like my like I said, my two questions I wrote down. Um, the other question is. Uh, <laughs> It, I again, I was looking at your Twitter, and it's this like buying. I'm gonna call it like buying domain name syndrome, where it's like <laughs> I do that. So yes, bad. we all do. We all do. What is like your favorite domain name, yeah. or like unrealized project? Like one day, maybe one day, this will be a thing. Like it's reserved in your brain space for whether it's a domain yeah. name or like framework. Like I have like <laughs> GitHub frameworks that are like. There's nothing in right. them. I've just started them because I'm like, oh, the name Heart of Gold yeah. is so good. I'm just going to reserve that one. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I have so many domain names that I'm not using. And yeah, a list of projects. I'm like, oh, maybe someday that'd be cool. Um, I don't know. One, I, I guess I bought my own. I like So I have, you know, well, like every developer, like several unmaintained blogs. Oh, yeah. And I, sometimes write about like I, I cause it's one of those things where you're like oh you know like good developers blog and good developers have blogs and so I should have a blog because I should be like you know someone who people like you know listen to and, and learn from um and I guess you know on some hand on one hand it's it's yeah sort of selfish and ego driven but on the other hand it, there is some feeling of like you know whatever contributing to the community in this mm -hmm. way like this is something I can do but anyway you know inevitably they always end up kind of turning into my own little like soapbox -ish things which is like not really the point of a technical blog especially um so i bought a domain called longhottakes.com where i was going to like move all that stuff yes. to and just like try to separate my technical writing from like just yeah rants um because for some reason i'm just incapable of not saying them it's like that's somehow very difficult for me um I yeah mean, on but, the contrary i don't know i also i'm not sure i respect somebody's blog if they don't have like at least like one little like long hot <laughs> opinionated rant if you don't lead off with yeah. everybody else sucks and this is the way to do it then like should i even trust yeah. you <laughs> you know <laughs> where where's your passion yeah 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 have have some opinions for sure but uh yeah, it's always, it's one of those things, I don't know, it always sounds, you know, it's more exciting in your head, I guess, when you get these ideas and you think, oh, yeah, I'll do that project for sure next weekend, and then mm -hmm. never happens, but yeah, one I've wanted to build for a while is, like, some sort of way to, like, aggregate, like, ways to look for cities, because, like, especially for places to live, like, if I'm going to go live somewhere for, like, six months or a year, you know, it's, it's nice to look up, like, you know, walk scores and weather and safety and cost of living and average internet speeds and like put that all kind of in one place mm -hmm. um and there are some that that basically do that already but it's uh i guess i don't know that's i guess one thing i discovered is like most projects like that that i think would be cool to do really hinge on like the the underlying data sets mm -hmm. which are not always available or reliable um because yeah it turns out building the uis for them is not usually not the most complicated part mm -hmm. um but yeah, yeah. I'm always reading those and being like, you know, just anything I see online these days, you know, it states things as facts. And I'm like, where are you? Where are you getting this? Like, nobody's ever asked me this question. Like, yeah. or is this, 
Because are you standing around like a mall of America? Like who like because it used to be, I think, in the 90s, they would like survey people in like malls or like, you know, they take to the street and like, you know, right. I don't I don't know. Is this is this like online surveys? Like where how do I sign up to be part of the represented? Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. There's uh, there's I'm actually part of one of those forms. There's in Canada. There's this one of those survey companies is called Angus Reed and you can just like sign up. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's it, but it is interesting. Like, yeah, I've, I'm not. I've never done like a very deep dive into statistics, but it is interesting. Yeah, learning about just the basics of like, yeah, sampling and like, yeah, that whole thing of like, how can you ask fifteen hundred people and you know extrapolate to an entire population? But I don't know. The numbers check out, so it is interesting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, come on, it's, I disagree. Ask me. <laughs> I disagree. Ask me. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so what in the yeah. tech world is most exciting to you right now? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, or are you like an old man, grumpy oh fogey now? Have you made it to the other side? <laughs> <laughs> Everything sucks. Yeah. I'm just here to make money and get out. <laughs> um, I don't know, honestly. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not like super overhyped. Like, like I do think some of the stuff in like um, sort of VR world is kind of cool. Um, like applications other than gaming. Like I've seen some that are like, you know, workouts uh, or traveling, like sort of exploring new places um, seems pretty cool. But yeah, as far as like, I don't know, in terms of like the software industry, I think it'd be cool if we had like a course correction to like more simplicity instead of like more um, like fancier and fancier JavaScript frameworks. Like it's, yeah, that's it's not really happening, but like, yeah, like right now, like the way to build a, a normal static website is just like so mind bogglingly complex mm -hmm. when it's just like, you just need HTML on a page. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it'd be cool if we could like, you know, I don't know, remove some of the unnecessary layers of, of, uh, stuff. Well, I guess it makes sense that you're really digging closure then. Cause that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of our jam. Um, you know, make it, make yeah, it. Yeah, no, simple. it was so exciting when I first, yeah. When I first started watching all of Ritiki's talks, I was like, Oh, like, how have I never heard of this guy? This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yes, no, I'm I'm totally sold. I'm totally a totally a closure fangirl. So so how was the um, conversion over to Lisp? Because because I started with Lisp, so I and I hear a lot of people kind of uh, like bitching online, like, oh, the parentheses, or like, or like it's unreadable, <laughs> or you know, just all of these kind of it's... criticisms. And I'm like, is it though? Is yeah. it? Are you just because I can't like like how was that for you anyway? Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, so I think the syntax things, like, I tend to agree with the sort of, you know, like, it comes up in a lot of, like, Rich Hickey and Stuart Holloway's talks, like, yeah, get over it, basically, <laughs> like, it's not a real um, barrier. And I don't think there's actually more parentheses, they're just in weird places. But yeah, like, if you look at, you know, I look at some of my old, like, TypeScript programs, and there's, like, you know, 10 rows of, like, different kinds of parens, and it's just that they're all on separate lines. But if you put them all on one line, kind of looks the same. So, yeah, the syntax and stuff, I think, you know, you can kind of pick up definitely like conceptually, it was an adjustment 
coming from TypeScript and Ruby where like um, there's just a lot of, you know, incidental complexity, as they say, like a lot of ceremony. And I think it was, I think it was in one of Stuart Holloway's talks. I don't remember who's actually, but yeah, he said, you know, we have this special industry term for this incidental complexity, which is like design patterns. Um, And you have to, I don't know, just basically think a lot about like how you're going to make your code work because you have to put it all in the right place and structure it the right way to kind of, you know, not screw yourself over in the future. Like, which I find, yeah, was, was difficult. Cause you know, in closure, it's like, what do you mean? There's no classes. Like, where do I put my code? Um, but once, you know, once I got used to it, it was, uh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty interesting because it, it's just, yeah, there's always, there's just less to think about, less code to put in your, your working memory, right? Because you can just work with like one little function at a time, mm-hmm. um, which, which, yeah, I definitely find really simplifies building like complex systems because you just, you don't ever have to keep as much of it in your head at once. Mm-hmm. And with the REPL too, it, you know, if you do yeah. forget or, you know, lose you, you, your, your brain cache empties, you can always just you know, control enter control space, you know, just, you can always just check, see, see what it is. Um, and I think that that type of, yeah, for sure. Um, that type of a test driven development, cause we go on about, you know, the kind of classic idea of writing test driven developments, like writing tests on your code, mm-hmm. but then that makes you, it, it, I don't understand how that wouldn't change the way that you write your code where, you would write your code because you wouldn't want to break tests because you put forth all of this effort to, to do that. Um, and, you know, I think sure. REPL driven development is, is um, a, a better flavor of test driven development. Um, in my opinion. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. No, I love it for sure. That's true. That's one thing that, that that's what that tends to be one of the big things when people when you ask people what do you love about closure, a lot of them say the REPL. I think that's I think a lot of people coming from like I never wrote Java or any sort of like compiled language, mm-hmm. so I was always working in like Ruby and especially with front end development, I find like that experience of like writing code and seeing it immediately is somewhat familiar. So I think it's I think it's like less exciting and less impressive to people who are coming from that kind of world, but for sure, I definitely, yeah, I absolutely love working at the REPL and I definitely, it's different and better. And there's definitely advantages to having that kind of like live feedback loop. Um, But yeah. And yeah, testing, I, I, I agree. Testing is tricky. It's, it's really tricky to do well because it's, yeah, it's really easy to end up in this place where you're like, you're kind of just, I don't know, testing stuff, but not really. And so when you change something, the test break, but it's not really broken. And um, yeah, that's, that's. I hear that's yeah. a problem in TypeScript. Is that it, to your experience? Has it been? I found, yeah, I found TypeScript quite frustrating. I mean, part of it's, I guess, cause like I'm, I don't, I, you know, was working mostly with Ruby and JavaScript before. And so the whole concept of like, like I found, you know, types, Anyway, this is this debate has been hashed a thousand <laughs> times, but there's you know there's there's pros and cons. There's pros and cons, and there's certainly some pros. But 
I found they just, yeah, they didn't outweigh the extra effort. Like it was a lot of work. Like I spent so many hours getting types to work properly and dealing, you know, you had to learn all of these complexities about the intricacies of like how types work and, and specifically in this language and how all the different, you know, options that are available for combining them, inheriting them and, and whatever. And it was like, I, I didn't, I don't think it delivers on the promise of like actually reducing the number of bugs. Oh, here's my buddy. Hi. Um, um is that a pupper? So, yeah, this is this is actually my brother's dog, um, but we're we're buds. <laughs> cool, cool. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, so you know, I know there's people who really swear by types and love them, but uh, I think I think I I share the sort of sentiment I've heard other closure developers express that like, you know, for the kinds of problems that I have. The, the kinds of issues that languages, you know, make for me while I'm writing software, like types aren't really the solution. Um, but yeah, or, anyway, or just that's use spec. Obviously, my use spec. Yeah, I find spec really interesting. It's really interesting. I've uh, I don't I I feel like I'm totally not like using it as best I could. Like we we do use it in a few projects, and it's it comes in handy um in a lot of ways but i feel like there's uh like something i've i haven't put together like it's every time i use it i'm like ah is this right like am i doing it right am i using this but anyway um and also like where do you put them i always kind of end up with them in awkward places but uh anyway there's there's lots of talks out there i guess i need to watch some more of them so, more, more spec lots lots there are a lot spec is a there are lots of opinions on yeah. spec. I actually, you know what? I'm not even going to weigh in on that opinion. I loved uh, whatever that talk was called where he, speculation maybe? Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just the idea of like, def- yeah, defining your like your specs not based on the context that you're calling them in, mm-hmm. I think is, um, I don't know, really insightful. And, and yeah, one way that types are not like, the kind of solution that I think a lot of people um, wish they were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are getting to the end of the hour. um, And I want to thank you. Thank you for donating the hour. You're probably like, okay, (laughs) what, why, like, why is this girl hitting me up to talk on the podcast? Um, It's fun for sure. Nobody, uh, nobody ever, you know, rarely wants to hear what I have to say. So it's exciting for sure. It's, uh... Well, I, I do want to hear what you have to say. I think it's, it's important to, um, you know, talk to all, all the members of the community, you know, from like the, the, you know, people that are, as we we're talking about, like producing lots of open source tools to the people that, you know, are focusing on having an enriching life and doing like digital nomad stuff it's you know that's just as important and just should be just as i guess represented in the community or i i feel like it is so that's why you know that's awesome um that's why i do this but like like i said thank you so much for talking to me audience anyone that listens to this i will see you next time and thanks for uh sticking in there with us bye-bye la 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 lost in lambdas la 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 Lost in Lambda.